A-T-I-V-Y-A-H dot O-R-G. Recorded February 1994 at North Atlanta Church of Christ. Pharisees, Sadducees, and their impact for the church. A three-part series, part one. I feel a little lonely out here without Bill Long. Uh, but he's the one who gave me this title for today. Pharisees, Sadducees, and their impact for the church. This is the theme for the whole day. And we already had uh, an introduction, a long introduction during the Sunday school hour to the theme. And uh, I would, it's a difficult subject to, uh, to talk about. And uh, before I get into it, I'd like to make a few disclaimers. First, the Apostle Paul says, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so whatever I'm going to say about the Pharisees, I'm not saying it to condemn anyone. Anyone that is here with us today, or that is not here with us today. I'm going to use the text of Matthew 23 as a mirror to reflect upon ourselves. Not to condemn ourselves, but to learn how not to do and how not to be in the ways of Jesus himself. When it says in verse 2 of Matthew 23, the Pharisees and the scribes sit on the seat of Moses. Whatever they tell you to do, you should do. But don't do as they do. Because, and he has a long list of things that they do, and they themselves don't want to do, don't intend to do. Not aware that they're doing wrong. But Jesus holds the mirror of truth in front of them and reveals to them, he was speaking to them, reveals their shortcomings. And I think that it is a healthy thing to do for us today also. I'm looking very much to later on this morning to hear from Brother Jim Condon. He just returned from Russia, from a campaign in Russia. And I am... uh, was very pleasantly surprised to find out that Brother Jim and his wife and I have known each other for a long time. And we have been out of contact for the last more than a decade. But uh, at one time we had joint interest in evangelizing the Jewish community in New York. And Brother Jim Condon has brought many Jewish people to the Lord. Uh, while he was serving God at Bethpage in Long Island. And so it was a pleasure to get to know him. It's also a pleasure to see Brother Lemons, Brother Albert Lemons, who was one of the first people that gave money to support me when I was graduating from high school. And in fact, the first typewriter I ever bought was with money that came from Brother Lemon and from the congregation in Miami that he preached at that time. And so it's a real pleasure for me to see people that I haven't seen for long and with whom I had fellowship and who invested in me as a person and in the Lord's work in Israel. And before I get into the text of Matthew 23, I want to give you just a little bit of preacher's advice. The most important thing that you can invest into is people. I like that new commercial I saw on television that a guy 
there's a close-up to a guy's face, right close-up. All, all you can see is his face. It says, our company has invested millions of dollars in upgrading our computers and the communications. And our productivity has only gone up 2%. Maybe we would, would do better to invest to upgrade our people. Yeah. And that's the end of the commercial. And it's very, very important. You know, people like Albert Lemons and Elmer Morgan and Bill Long and Jesse Long invested in my life, time and money. And, uh, and I really want to say that I appreciate it. And I know that, you know, in the days of judgment, God is not going to look at what we poured into facilities and physical things, but into people. And so, this has to do something with the lesson. Let's go to Matthew 23 and look at the Pharisees. But before I get into that text, I want to say this. The Pharisees had got more flack and criticism in the New Testament from Jesus, not because he didn't love them, not because he didn't care for them, not because he didn't have a relationship with them, but, but precisely for these reasons. He loved them. He cared for them. He had a relationship with them. He was more like them than anybody else. He believed in angels like they believed. He believed in the resurrection like they believed. He believed in the power of God's Spirit like they believed. He believed in the Word of God like they believed. He had a close relationship with them and that's why he cared enough to criticize them with love and with compassion. Desiring that they should improve and not that they should continue in their ways and in the end find perdition rather than salvation. That's why he criticized them. And if anybody loves the church and the people of God, whatever church it may be, he has got to be, make himself vulnerable enough to be able to hold the mirror at the face of the church and let them see where they are going to and what they have become so that they would repent and correct and change and fix and prevent from falling into the same traps that our forefathers fell into. This lesson is for prevention, not for condemnation. And I would like to start with Matthew 23. Here is some of the things that they do. I already read the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves. This is a bad translation. It doesn't say they seated themselves in the Greek. They say it, they sit on the seat of Moses. And that's how King James has it too. Yeah, they sit on the seat of Moses. This would imply that they're not rightly sitting on the seat of Moses. But we know from all the text that, they are, that Jesus said they are sitting in the seat of Moses and whatever they tell you to do, do. Verse 3, Therefore all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. Why? For they say things and do them not. In other words, they, they, they don't practice 
what they preach. That, accord, that is one of the main reasons that Jesus called them hypocrites. Yeah. Hypocrite, in the Greek language, is theatrical language. It means to put on, to pretend, to play act, yeah. to interpret, to assume somebody else's position yeah that's what hypocrite means you know to be what you are not really intending to be to act on the stage yeah it's interesting one of our brothers by name of dick baby has become a famous archaeologist graduate of of uh, harding and and other schools fried hardeman before harding and a classmate of Bill Long's uh, has written recently a book about Sipores, the capital city of the Galilee, about five miles out of Nazareth, in which he's, and, and it was a big city. It had a big theater, and, and Dick Beatty makes it a point that a lot of the terminology that Jesus uses is theatrical terminology, and probably Jesus saw when as a child Greek theater at the city of Tsipori, because in Nazareth they didn't have a theater. And, and, and that's where Jesus learned this terminology, and the word hypocrites, yeah, which means play-acting. And Jesus says to them, the first thing he says to his disciples, they tell you the truth, but they themselves don't practice it. Yeah? And we have had a number of preachers who have stood on pulpits for a long time and preach the gospel. Yeah. And they themselves didn't practice it. Yeah. Neither at home, nor in their private lives, nor morally, nor spiritually. Yeah. And that's the, the, a condemnation that Jesus is giving here to this group of people that intended to do what is right. The Pharisees didn't intend to do what is wrong they wanted to do that which was right yeah but they did not do it themselves they like to condemn others for not doing it when they themselves were not practicing what they believed to be the right thing to do yeah? and that is a universal failure nobody has a corner on this area all of us are guilty in one time or another, in one circumstance or another, of that kind of situation. And I don't want to live my life when Jesus is telling you, listen to Joseph, he's a good teacher, he's teaching the, the truth, but don't do like he does because he does not practice what he preaches. I don't want to hear that from the Lord about Joseph Shulam. And I want to try harder, not only to be a good teacher by words, but to live according to what I teach. The truth is, I can't lie to you. My wife and kids are sitting in front. I don't always succeed. I don't always succeed. Yeah? But, praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ, that does work and continue to work, and atone 
and that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, because of time, I'm going to have to skip from a, a, a few of these texts. Because in, in the half an hour that I have, I can't touch all nine occasions. But I do want to skip to verse 13 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. And for, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It's a terrible accusation. It says, you, the scribes and the Pharisees, are shutting off the kingdom of heaven from those that want to get into it. And you yourself don't get in and don't allow others to get in. If I had to translate this to today's church, not to the church of Christ, to today's church universal, yeah, to all the different churches, I would say that the way that I would interpret this text would be that we ourselves don't allow anybody to really get spiritual in our midst. Now I'm making a generalization. And there are many places and many congregations that do allow and encourage that for people to really enter into a relationship with God. But there are many who don't. That if a person really becomes spiritual, he becomes a threat. And the thing that we try to do is to quell him. You know? To put a cap on him. Not to allow the exuberance and the zeal and the love and the excitement of becoming a Christian really take over. Yeah? That's not how we behave, we tell him. Yeah? In our church, we don't do these things. Yeah? You can't do it here because people will look at you cross-eyed. Yeah? That's how we prevent people from growing in God and in the Spirit. We ourselves don't get in and don't allow others to get in. And I am talking about a real, honest, godly people who really want to have a relationship with God. Yeah? We manage to stop them. Yeah? And Jesus calls that one of the woes. Oi. In, in Yiddish we would say, Oi vavoy. Yeah? Oi vey. In short. Oi vey, what have you guys done? Yeah? Where is the freedom in the spirit? that we have to encourage one another to have a closer relationship with God not only in church but in life huh? so this is one of the woes you don't yourself not getting in and you're not letting others get in yeah? Jesus considers that hypocritical verse 15 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. 
Now this seems to be in contradiction to the previous woe. The previous woe said, you don't allow people to become, to enter the kingdom and you yourself not entering it. This one says on the contrary. You go around the whole world trying to make proselytes, to convert people to your religion. And when one does convert, he managed to get in. He broke through the gates. Yeah? Then you make him twice the son of hell as you yourselves. What does it mean here? This is what he means. That when a person becomes a convert, the first things we teach him is how to hate everybody else. That's what we teach him. This brother, don't pay any attention to him because he is against Sunday school and against Christian colleges. This brother, don't pay any attention to him because in their church they raise hands when they pray and worship. This brother, don't pay any attention. That's the gospel that is being heard by the majority of the world. If you ask anybody who's not from the church of Christ, what do they know about the church of Christ? They'll tell you. Yeah? These are the people that think that they're the only ones that are good and pleasing God. These are the people that don't believe in the, in the Holy Spirit. These are the people... That's how we're defined. Yeah? And that's what we teach our people. When a person becomes a convert, we teach him everything that is wrong with everybody else. The thing that we ought to teach the people is not what not to do. Let's teach them what to do. You know, let's teach them what God expects of us. Let's not, and I'm guilty of this. As well, I was educated in the churches of Christ. I couldn't have gone through all these four years of education in America without getting a little bit tainted. Yeah. Basil Barrett Baxter, God bless his soul in heaven, yeah, told us when we were in the senior class of Bible majors, he said, you're going to, you have spent four years in this institution learning how to minister. But it's going to take you ten years to forget what you have learned so that God can use you. <laughs> and he was right. You know, he was right. And part of the reason is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here. He's telling them that they were, when they, when they got a convert, they taught the convert everything that was wrong with everybody else. Yeah? And what not to do. Yeah? And didn't teach them what they really should do positively. And that was the case. Um, and it's a case that we need to watch out for. Let's teach people about Jesus Christ, about the authority of Scripture, and leave the rest to God and the Holy Spirit to, to, to mature the people and to raise them up to walk in the light. Yeah? That's our job. The next thing that he says is verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, and the, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. It's a long section. 
But I, and, and it re- repeats this, this phrase, Woe to you blind guides. Yeah? Folks, you can't teach anybody something that you yourself don't know and haven't experienced. That's not an unusual thing in the business world. But it is a usual thing in a lot of the Christian circles in, in, in the world. Yeah? Try, try to teach that which you are yourself experienced in. Get into the Word. If you want to evangelize, you know, read the Word of God. Bring people to God and to Jesus. Not to any of the minor things that later on he condemns. Not to the mint, cumin and, and, and uh, basil. Yeah? These things, there's always time to learn. These things are important, but they're not going to save you. They didn't save the Pharisees. The main things are what's important, which we've been talking about during the luncheons. Faith in God, one God. That's important. Acknowledgement that Jesus is the only way of salvation and that there is no redemption outside of His grace. That's important. Yeah? Seeking justice in the world and righteousness in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. That's important. Yeah? And you can get a whole list from these luncheons of what we've been talking about. Yeah? But if you concentrate on these things which are peripheral, yeah? Then you're going to miss the big things that really make the difference in your life. Yeah? And that's why he calls them blind guides. Yeah? That's why Jesus calls these people blind guides because the, they are leading themselves, they are leading people, they themselves don't know where they're going and they're taking others with them to where they don't know where they're going. I love, love a painting of Bruegel. Bruegel was a Dutch painter. And uh, lived a few hundred years ago. And he has a painting, different paintings of the parables of Jesus. And he's got a painting of the blind leading the blind. Yeah? And they're all holding on to a rope. The first blind man has a rope. And all the other blind men behind him are holding on to the rope. And he's already fallen in the hole. But the other guys behind him don't know it. Because they can't see him. And they're just walking right. And you see one is already down. The next one is already going down. The third one beginning to go down. The fourth one is as happy as he could be. <laughs> He's just walking, smiling, holding on to the rope. He doesn't know what's waiting for him. Yeah? And, 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 and we have got to watch out. The, the, the New Testament says, let not, let not many of you be teachers. Yeah? And he puts a very heavy responsibility on elders. The reason is because we are leading people. And not only the preachers and the teachers and the elders and the deacons are leading people. You'd be surprised how many people are looking at you here in this congregation as an example and as somebody that they want to follow. Maybe because you're blonde, maybe because you're redhead. 
maybe because you have been successful, maybe because you are their Sunday school teacher, maybe because you take care of them in the kindergarten class. Yeah? You'd be surprised the influence that you have, the leavening influence that you have on the people around you. It's a great responsibility, but especially for those who are holding office, supposed to be in the church, as preachers and, and teachers and elders and deacons. It's an awesome responsibility. Yeah? Let us not misuse that privilege and approach it with fear and trembling. When we teach the congregation, let's not waste, you know, a thousand people's time. Yeah? I feel I am still, I've been preaching now for 30 years. From the time that I was Bill Long's mascot. Yeah? And, and, and the truth is, I am still afraid and scared of every lesson that I have to teach. And even if I prepared the lesson, yeah, a month ago in Israel, and I brought the texts with me of Josephus and other books, I photocopied them so I don't have to carry a whole library with me. Yeah? Even I've done that, I still feel so responsible that I want to spend two or three hours reviewing the material again. Because I feel scared that I may mislead you. Yeah? And we all have to watch out from being blind guides. Yeah? And, and not leading people into these legalistic discussions like these people were discussing. Is it okay to swear by the gold in the temple, but not by the temple itself? Is it okay to swear by the hair on my head? Praise God, I still have some. Yeah. Yeah, my son has lost it all already. He's after my wife's side of the family, not mine. <laughs> yeah. But, but this, these things, these legalistic aspects that we are so involved in, we miss the important things of the kingdom. And that's what he continues to say. In verse 25. Verse 23. You scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which are justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Yeah? Jesus is not saying don't tithe the dill in your garden, or the mint in your garden, or the cumin in your garden. He's not saying, don't do these things, they're not important. He's saying they're important. He's not saying, don't give up. Or he's not saying, give up the non-instrumental music. Or give up the breaking of bread every weekday. Or give up the eldership and the deacons and their authority over the church. He's not saying these things. He's saying these are important things. But don't neglect the most important things. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's what God wants us to present to the world. When God revealed Himself to the prophets of Israel, 
in Jeremiah and in Micah and in Malachi, similar passages appear. When God says, and also in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, O Israel, what does God want from you? The answer that the prophets gave is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Yeah? But we seem to forget these things and we concentrate on the little things that are important by neglecting the big things at the cost of the big things. This is one of the reasons, by the way, has nothing to do with the church, the next comment, but it has to do with the home. Yeah? The husbands and their wives have concentrated on doing the, the peripheral things in the house, making sure that the house is beautifully decorated. Yeah? Making sure that they have a bread-making machine that they never use. Yeah, because they eat in the restaurant all the time. Yeah? Uh, and, 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 you know, they, they, all the peripheral things, fathers made sure that they provided shoes for their children, but they didn't have time to sit with them and hug them or read them a story and love their families. Yeah? Now, nobody says that they shouldn't have shoes for their children, but the, their children can have shoes but without a, a fatherly figure that has authority in the home and shows them real love, they will might become something that they don't want them to become. They might lose their relationship to God with their shoes on. Yeah? The responsibility that the law of God gives to the, to the fathers is to tell their children when they go to bed and when they walk on the highway and when they are on the road and when they are in the field to tell their children of the Lord God of Israel. Yeah? That's the responsibility. Everything else is a commentary on life. But this is the same phenomena that we see here among the Pharisees. They were very particular about these little things, you know, and, and how people spoke, and how they dressed, and how they behaved, or if they, they had one cup or many cups for communion, yeah? These are the things that are peripheral. It's not important if you send your money to an orphanage collectively or as individuals. It's not important whether you support Christian colleges or not compared to what God really expects the church to do. Yeah. And it's not important if somebody raises his hands, his holy hands in praise to God. That's not important. But churches will split and love will be lost over these things that are totally peripheral. And the important things will be left neglected. Yeah. And this is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. That's what they were doing. They were tidying these little things and missing the most important things. And Jesus says to them, do this, but don't forget the other. Priorities need to be set according to the order of importance, not to the order of urgency. 
And I'm saying this to elders. Especially all over the brotherhood. You know, if you know elders, tell them this. Priorities need to be set in the orders of importance and not in the orders of urgency. And churches ought to plan what they're going to be doing five years from now. Yeah? And not things that become urgent and take their time and then they don't know what, they'll, what, what direction they're going. Spiritually I'm talking about. Yeah? To draw the chart that the church will be going on spiritually. Where we are today and where we want to end up in five years from now. Because without a plan and without direction and without knowing what is important and what is not, I know from my own work that the urgent takes place of the important. Yeah? And, and, and this is what they were doing. They were watching each other how much they're going to tide their mint and their cumin. But the, the big things they were neglecting. One more. Woe to you, verse 27. 25 and 27 are basically saying the same thing, with slight difference. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. Oh, we have some beautiful church buildings. We have some beautiful gymnasiums and family life centers. And you name it, whatever you want to name it. But we have forgotten, you know, to clean the inside of the people and of us as a brotherhood and as a congregation. Yeah. And this is, these are the things that Jesus is calling the Pharisees hands on. Yeah? He says, alright, it's wonderful to have beautiful whitewashed buildings on the outside. But the same principle that we talked about previously appears also here. Don't neglect the outside, but also clean up the inside. And these are things which can be universal. I could be speaking this to a synagogue. I could be preaching this sermon in Jerusalem to our own congregation. And they're painful. Because they're true, they're painful. Not because they're false. Yeah? And from time to time, not very often, it's important to reflect on that. That's the heritage that the Pharisees left us. It be the Jewish Pharisees from the first century. It could be the modern Pharisees in the synagogues today. And it could be the Christian Pharisees in the churches. Yeah? That's the heritage that we have inherited. But together with this heritage, we've also inherited another heritage. And that is the heritage of God's children. That in spite of our weaknesses... And in spite of our shortcomings. And in spite of the fact that in many aspects of our lives, we are hypocrites. Yeah? In spite of these things, God still loves us. And God still loves the world. And 
God has still given us the charge to be His flag barriers, to carry His name, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to be forgiven of our sins, even of the sins of hypocrisy. If we as a people and as individuals have the courage to say to God, Yes, I have fallen. Yes, I have failed miserably. Yes, I know that I should be a Christian, but in my work I don't behave as one. Yes, I know I should be a father and care about the inside of, the, of my family, what is in their hearts, what's in their spirits, not only what they wear and what they eat. Yeah? If we can get the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us and give us the courage to stand up and say collectively, we have been hypocrites in many aspects, as individuals and as a church. But the love of God surpasses our hypocrisy. And God can still use instruments that are not physically and spiritually perfect in their own self, but find perfection in the blood of Jesus and in the grace of God. If we could say that, then these words that Jesus says to the Pharisee would be a healing influence on us and not a condemning influence. It would be something that would bring us all to our knees and bring us closer to God. That's the essence of what we can learn from the Pharisees. Wonderful passages in the book of Acts that says many of the Pharisees and of the high priests Believed in Jesus. It's wonderful to meet people that were from the Pharisees, like Gamaliel, like Joseph of Arimathea, yeah, and others who paid the price, who saw in Jesus the Son of God and the Messiah, and who came to Him, and who gave Him a grave to raise from. And the linen cloth to be wrapped in. Or the sinful woman who poured, you know, about $3,000 worth of perfume on the feet of Jesus Christ to anoint Him. It's wonderful to see these people who were sinners, who were Pharisees, who gave their life to God and received atonement and forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit to give them strength to be their motor, their engine, to go on and live for God. These sins are not unforgivable. They are forgivable. And that forgiveness is affordable in Jesus Christ. If I was in Jerusalem, I would ask the whole congregation to stand up and repent. Because we are all guilty and every few years it's a good thing for us to admit collectively. We have been wrong. We have looked for everything that is wrong with everybody else and not corrected it ourselves. Yeah? We have paid attention of how clean the communion set is more than how clean our heart is. All these things are so universal and so... that I read about here. It convicts me. 
you know. But I'm already down the aisle. And I will stay down the aisle while we stand and sing this song of invitation. But let it be a victory in Jesus for all of us. Nativia, www.netivyah.org.